just got my second installment of my inheritance. Let's celebrate. I got something for you, Sandra. Oh, Elmer, you do that so good. Come on, honey. Move for me, baby. But surely expulsion is not the answer. I'm afraid expulsion is the only answer. Thank you, thank you. And now, the moment we've all been waiting for, that lovely lady herself, Miss Cuddles. WCBN-FM presents the John Waters film, Polyester. Noses beware, this one's filmed in Odorama. Wednesday night, June 13th, 9 p.m. at Arbor Brewing Company. Functionality of smells not guaranteed. This instant. There we go. Okay, I guess we are on the air now. Uh, my name is Dick Whaley. Uh, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters. And I'm Jim Dwyer. I'm even more discombobulated than I was. And now we just had a false start. Listeners will never know that, but uh, discombobulation uh, running amok. Running amok. That's the way the world works sometimes. Anyway, uh, Kind of an interesting week. I, I heard today, by the way, that the uh, oil production in the United States was the highest it's been since 1998. Have you heard Mitt Romney talking about gas prices lately or oil production? I don't think so, because uh, that uh, temporary issue that was being hyped by the Wall Street Journal about three months ago has sort of evaporated. And... Uh, it's been a kind of a, an interesting week. We have Greek elections coming up uh, this Sunday. Uh, those will be crucial. We won't address them too much because uh, uh, next week we'll be doing a Watergate show. Oh, yes. We're coming up on the big anniversary there. 40th anniversary of the Watergate break-in. And uh, all things Richard Nixon will be discussed, <laughs> including things he doesn't want us to talk about. And there's a whole lot of that. There's a whole lot of that. Plus, we got plenty more on Homer Simpson. But in any event, uh, you know, the, the Wisconsin recall happened last week. Pretty interesting there. Um, I sort of accurately predicted last week that I thought it uh, looked like Walker was going to narrowly hang on. Big debates about how much uh, outside money was involved. But uh, I've heard varying estimates between 7 to 1, 3 to 1, 2 to 1 in which the Walker forces were able to outspend the Democrats, who, a wise, I think, unwisely had a primary fight just a couple months ago, mm-hmm. and that pr- might have hurt uh, unity. And I think that the polls showing Walker uh, holding on because some people were troubled by uh, a recall uh, effort rather than a sort of straight election effort uh, probably doomed uh, Barrett at the end of the day. Also, I think he was probably not uh, the best of candidates. Um, but on the positive side for the Democrats, they did take control of the Senate. Yeah, there were some costs uh, for the Republicans in that uh, recall. And, of course, the uh, Koch brothers and other uh, assorted billionaires threw in a lot of money on this recall. And... Uh, I don't know how much money these guys have, but I, I, one thing that I wish Congress would do immediately, tax 
campaign contributions immediately. That's a great idea right there. It would uh, certainly, since it's been declared open season on spending uh, in the wake of cash equals speech uh, decisions, then uh, why not? Just about every other uh, transaction involving cash is taxed. And the easiest way to do it is, you know, the, 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 I think the, the maximum benefit that an individual is allowed to give to a candidate is $2,500. Well, cut it off at 1000 if you give less than $1,000, this would encourage small donations, which is uh, being widely advertised. Have dinner with Donald Trump. <laughs> Only $5,000. That's there, for the salad. Yeah, there's a toupee in my, in my, <laughs> in my salad. <laughs> there is a long golden hair in my soup. Uh, I, I don't, couldn't imagine having dinner with Donald Trump. And you, you will, of course, certainly not eating it. <laughs> recall that Sarah Palin and Donald Trump had pizza together up at the Rockefeller Center. Uh, it's kind of like going out to Briarwood to have pizza, man. Yeah. Uh, we won't. Uh, well, good taste is uh, clearly a, a, a strong uh, interest for neither of the two there. Briarwood, folks, uh, for people that aren't a local, is a is a mall here in Ann Arbor. <laughs> in any event, uh, uh, yeah, just simply tax these big ca campaign contributions. If these guys want to pay to play, let the government take in some money, reduce the deficit, hire some teachers. You name it. Uh, it strikes me as uh, sensible taxation. Uh, I've always been an advocate of taxing football, by the way. Oh, I've, I've been saying put a tax on high school football for years, and what they're really just doing is squeezing the budget in other ways. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, spending and money in uh, voting and election systems, uh, clearly we're headed in the wrong direction. I mean, the so-called Citizens United... Uh, decision equating cash with speech, corporations with, with personhood yet again. Uh, that's exactly the wrong direction. We need less money uh, in elections, less spending, uh, because of all the uh, back-scratching that, uh, of course, goes on with the uh, financial donations. Uh, we should be really ultimately heading towards a model where uh, campaigns are short, European style, where they just campaign for a couple of office, right. a couple of uh, weeks, uh, maybe a month and a half, and uh, debates are televised, uh, open-ended, uh, on f television for free, and the candidates compete intellectually uh, and per performatively uh, rather than spending. You know, that's not a competition. Uh, the, the richest uh, person buys the office. That's simony uh, and is kind of a medieval concept. Uh, we don't want to head in that direction, so I think taxing uh, campaign contributions is a perfectly logical step to sort of wean us away from uh, the grotesque system that is now in place. And, of course, there will be Greek elections next week that uh, should have some bearing on the euro. Uh, much too much fuss, I do believe, is, is uh, involved in the Greek situation. I think that it's obvious that they've got to be eased out of the euro some, some way, somehow. Um, Interesting over the weekend that the uh, basically the ECB um, made an agreement to uh, loan Spain uh, $125 billion. That's sort of a bridge loan there, and how that will impact the market is anybody's guess. Spain is a little different than Greece in the sense that 
And then Greece has uh, sort of long-term structural economic problems that just simply are going to have to be addressed one way or another, uh, depending on the um, outcome of the uh, vote. I saw an item oh, this past week about fisticuffs in the parliament itself. Not a good idea. And of course, the, involving the Golden Dawn. Yeah, the uh, unease uh, throughout the, the culture there is going to affect tourism, which is their biggest staple. Uh, so Spain, of course, has a more uh, developed economy, more developed less economy. reliant on uh, tourism. And it's interesting because Spain is sort of a, a kind of a microcosm of the United States. They had a housing bubble there. Uh, the banks have uh, lots of uh, real estate that's basically uh, in the in the category of non-performing loans, and they also have incredibly high unemployment. Uh, so the housing bubble, the created a banking bubble has created basically a recession and we talked last week about the question mark and the austerians uh, a very bad uh, concept uh, that needs to be remedied quickly and it's very interesting you know i was i was looking back at an old uh, article that i saved from back in good lord this is uh, prehistoric 1997 an article by Joseph Jaffe. Uh, this guy occasionally appears on BBC, and because I don't have the uh, actual, I have the article, but not the uh, whole uh, copy of the New York Review of Books, uh, he was raising, this article just turns out to be incredibly prescient in terms of the uh, observations that he makes about the problems with the euro that he's predicting uh, involving the Maastricht treaty that was still under negotiations. Maastricht is a small town in the Netherlands. And back in the 90s, the euro... Just across the bridge from Germany. Is it? No. Yeah. Um, the euro was being sort of created by the French and German uh, prime ministers at the time. Mitterrand was in France and Kohl, that's a name from the past. Helmut Kohl in Bonn. Yes. And anyway, Germany, of course, was dealing with the costs of reunification. Uh, they had to absorb 15 to 16 million people into their economy. And obviously, Germany was the winner of the Cold War, along with China and South Korea. The United States and the Soviets, in my book, were the losers of the Cold War. And unfortunately, millions of people in third world countries were even bigger losers because they are six feet under, thanks to the proxy wars that the Soviet Union and America fought all over the globe. And uh, needless to say, many of these uh, areas of the world are still experiencing warfare. In any event, um, he makes some very interesting observations in this article. It's from the December 4th, 1997 edition of the New York Review of Books. You can probably find it in their archives online. I, I believe that's just N-Y-R-B, books, you know, dot books, dot com. Uh, you can probably look it up, in which he makes a, a lot of observations about the fundamental problems that he for, was predicting regarding the euro. The euro was not to go into actual existence until January 1st of 2002, in which Marx, Gilders, Franks, etc. will vanish. There will only be euros and cents. Then he goes into this rule, the rules that were being negotiated at the time. And I'll just read this uh, 
brief uh, paragraph or two, because he makes the observation uh, in comparing uh, the Euro situation with America, uh, using Michigan and New York State as an example, he writes, Lansing and Albany have limited powers to tax and spend, but the country's fiscal policy is decided by Washington, by the United States Congress, by the executive branch. France, Germany, and other members of the Euro Union are not and will not be like any of the 50 American states. This is the famous criteria of the Maastricht regime that's come in, the gates to the inner sanctum of the monetary union. In essence, the criteria demand of each would-be member that it stop behaving like sovereign, a sovereign state. In order to qualify for Euro membership, their annual budgets must not exceed 3% of GDP. Accumulated public debt must stay within limits of 60% of GDP. Long-term interest rates must be lower than 10%, and the inflation rate must be lower than 3%. In short, each state, like a locomotive, still obeys its own driver engine and timetable. It is has to act as if it were uh, Michigan or New York. It has to forget virtually everything that turned fiefdoms, duchies, and city-states into modern nation-states between the 14th and 19th century. First the kings, and later, later the parliament's supremacy over public finance. At this point, this is 1997 now, the end of 1997, Luxembourg is the only country that qualifies on all counts. By next May, the Euro, uh, European Union must decide who else makes the cut. Uh, what is the basis of it? Eurostat is the statistical research branch of the European Commission in Brussels, and it has just announced that except for Greece, all members of the European Union are likely to squeeze by. How will they do this? By creative bookkeeping, if not outright cheating. <laughs> Hence, you have a prediction about what the problem is going to be. And, of course, it's the creative bookkeeping keeping and cheating that he then goes into in various detail, uh, noting that uh, France and Germany themselves are using accounting techniques uh, to qualify, quote-unquote. The Germans, for instance, were basically going to sell off to uh, large state, quote, owned the, the, the Deutsche Telekom, who, by the way, I think are in the American market now, mm -hmm. um, one of those big phone companies is uh, the remnants of Deutsche Telekom. It's a sort of uh, economic self-aggrandizement. Uh, in the natural kingdom, birds puff themselves up to appear larger than they are to attract a mate. Yes. And sovereign states, uh, so it appears, uh, enhance their books. We've seen this before with the missile gap. There's always this way where, oh, they have more, mm -hmm. and there's the, it's a natural threat, and so you appeal to flattery. And indeed, uh, self-delusion <laughs> or dummies. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> interesting that I think this week there's going to be a uh, big event at Alcatraz Island, the famous escape of the three convicts. Rumor has it on the 50th anniversary they will reappear. <laughs> Federal marshals are standing by, but anyway, in their escape from Alcatraz, they used dummies to put in their beds with. Uh, 
Fake hair, in fact. Yeah, so there's the, a Clint Eastwood film that uh, yeah. does a pretty good job of telling that story. He's one of the escapees. There were a pair of brothers, and he plays the other guy, as mm -hmm. I recall. But anyway, this article is really good because he goes into the what he sees are the fundamental problems with the upcoming euro and then wisely and notably predicts that he says euro europe's large banks and insurance companies can hardly wait for the euro money traders have simply calculated that for political reasons france and germany will have to take italy a founding member member uh, member of the old e european economic uh community no matter what so he um it's not really a European Union without Italy's presence there historically, culturally, and geographically. And he notes that, that fundamentally because of elections, he says to oppose the euro is to oppose Europe, the equivalent of motherhood. <laughs> uh, Merkel made a comment this weekend similar to that. We need, well, Of course, that uh, speaks uh, a lot towards England's uh, reluctance, refusal, you know, distance, <laughs> remaining aloof. On the continent, at least, uh, quoting Jaffe again, at least nobody of any stature and ambition wants to be seen as the company of the main opposition to Maastricht, whether the neo-right like Germany's Republicaners or the paleo-left like the French Communists. That has deadened the debate, leaving the wood, uh, excuse me, the mood of uh, sullen passivity fed by hopes for postponement. And uh, there you have it. Uh, the euro is sort of trudging along. Uh, this has turned into kind of a soap opera of sorts. I've almost lost track of the daily machinations involving various agreements, policies, and what's supposed to come next. And I'm starting to become confused by the whole thing a little bit. But clearly, the books were cooked to get the European Union to work in the beginning and things got worse, and needless to say, many of the European banks that are in trouble that have translated now into uh, sovereign state economic problems regarding the, the slowdown and the tightening of credit are actually connected to the American economic collapse of 2007-2008 uh, in the Wall Street banking sector here in the U.S. European banks bought the collateralized debt obligations, the CDOs, the bad credit, the phony American uh, financial products that were created by the geniuses of American capitalism. These were people that were characterized by the media as much smarter than you and me. Well, indeed they were. They took the money and ran. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, amoral uh, lizard people, I think, is what uh, Kurt Vonnegut called them uh, in his final years. <laughs> there you go. So, see what happens with the Greek situation. Greece, by the way, is only 2% of the uh, economic totality of the European Union. So why its departure would somehow affect the euro escapes me. It would certainly affect Greece. Uh, Greece could go back to, I believe it's the drachma. Um or they could create a new coin called the Plato or the Solon or the Pericles. Yeah, some story about uh, Disney dollars being exchanged in Iceland. Yeah, there you go. So uh, anything will work as a symbolic form of, of currency. And indeed, maybe in here in Detroit there will be a new form of money. 
because they're uh, looking at financial the financial cliff. That's the Indeed. new uh, the new uh, panic word of the week. The financial cliff. Well, you, you have to agree with people who th- who think that uh, why would Snyder? You know, part of me thinks that oh, the right wing uh, element of the Republicans in Michigan, the the Grand Rapids people, they hate Detroit for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, the labor, uh, probably a little tinge of racism there too as well. I don't think it would be going too far out of my way to hazard a guess there. But uh, then you have to think, well. Detroit is such an economic basket case. Why would the governor want to get involved with it at all? Uh, this emergency manager thing. Sure. This, mm-hmm. You know, the imposition that, okay, well, now if the state's going to take over the budget of Detroit, well, now it's the state's problem. Um, that's probably uh, more than they want to deal with. So uh, God only knows where that's headed. Yeah, and of course, when we're talking about Detroit here, we're not talking about the big three we're not talking about the economic vitality of Detroit. We're talking about the structural problems of the city government. And indeed, this past week, there were even some results in from California that are relevant to this issue related to why jobs have been sluggish in, in rebounding. Uh, Barack Obama had a surprise news conference on Friday that I missed, but I heard some of the post-news conference analysis uh, regarding his uh, claim at one point that the economy is fine, he had to kind of modify that slightly. But most of what he said was true. Uh, the private jobs that have been created, uh, quote unquote, in recent years are there. But the public sector is shrinking in America, in states like New York State and... Uh, well, and in Michigan, Michigan, where the Republicans want to uh, reduce the state income tax again to its lowest level since... I don't know, uh, 10 years ago, something yeah. like that, uh, when that's going to affect spending on schools, roads, emergency services, et cetera, which are already strapped. And 75% of the job cuts in the public sector in, in states and uh, lo- uh, localities around the country have, have been executed by Republican governors in those states. So it's a little, uh, I'm a little unclear what John Boner Boehner is complaining about. I don't ask where are the jobs. I ask where is the action. <laughs> There's nothing going on here. There's a kind of a oh, we'll just kick the can down the road until after the election, which is uh, unfortunately the truth of the matter. Yeah. And Barack Obama is sort of left defending a, a mixed uh, bag, uh, while the empty suit, Mitt Dimly, uh, once again over the weekend came out against uh, government. Uh, saving firefighters and teachers jobs um okay the public sector is contracting for a variety of reasons uh perhaps this is uh you know walker in his uh, post-election uh, triumph stated voters want politicians to make tough decisions and i'm making them and i'm paraphrasing there to some extent i mean the reason for the recall was that he did not reveal that he was in favor of abandoning collective bargaining as a basic mm-hmm. concept that's what created the ire, and of course the Democrats, despite getting outspent significantly, were at least able to gain control of the Wisconsin Senate. Now, the, the way the Wisconsin State Legislature meets, I don't think it's relevant because they don't meet again until next year. And uh, there are likely to be new elections this fall. So the Wisconsin 
situation is sort of in abeyance a little bit, but I think Walker has been sent a resounding message. Uh, cool it, dude. <laughs> whether he does, whether he has brats and beer with the uh, the loyal opposition, well, we'll wait and see. Well, it's certainly kicked up a, a lot of smoke and a lot of dirt and a lot of dust, and there's been some interesting numbers in the papers about uh, just regular polls um, where they're talking to uh, some of the other effects. And uh, uh, where was the one that uh, 29% of people... Uh, in Wisconsin, stop talking to someone about politics because of disagreements over the recall. Mm-hmm. I know of one individual who was disinvited from a wedding back in her native state of Wisconsin oh. for voicing her opinion uh, as an educator about these policies. And so it's this is not going to go away. It's going to be a sort of a lingering burn in a lot of people's mm-hmm. memories. The uh, Walker can have his triumph... Uh, now, but I think this is, you know, uh, this is going to be around for a little while in the background as a sort of a reminder. And indeed, you know, they're one of the main reasons to understand why state government is cutting back uh, when they should be expanding is the fact that state government, unfortunately, over uh, in way too many states, is far too dependent on property taxes uh, to maintain budget uh, efficacy. Um most state budgets, as Mitt Romney, uh, Dim Mitley, uh, Dim Mitt some, likes to uh, proclaim, he passed balanced budgets. Well, most of them have constitutions that sort of require this. So when you have property taxes premised on inflated housing prices, which is basically a housing mm-hmm. bubble, which is what you've had uh, in the decade under uh, the uh, the wanker, George W., it's just like Spain's problem. Spain is 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 is, is sort of America writ large. It had a big housing bubble uh, in the decade of the noughties, uh, and um, they're suffering the hangover. That that's what happens if you have too much punch at the party. <laughs> George Bush knows all about that. He's a recovering bourbon drunk, but at least he's a Christian. And at least, or so he says. At least his favorite politician is Jesus. Ah, uh, well, he has read the gospel as a matter of debate. But the point being, getting back to why the public sector is cutting back when with declining revenues, the budget cuts are connected to the fact that there's less revenue coming in. And the question at the end of the day is, should states uh, operate like this? Should should they be able not to quote print money, but should they be able to operate with deficits to stimulate the economy and prevent uh, these cutbacks that may be essential for the fundamental future of the United States? When Mitt Romney comes out saying, well, I don't care about uh, retaining teachers, he doesn't quite get it. He is dim mit some. Well, uh, the ironic thing is, of course, that the corporate world, the business world, which pays for a lot of this nonsense, uh, is at the point where they're openly saying, we need to spend a little bit more money on schools. We are losing the edge. We're losing our step. And uh, we need highly educated individuals, well-trained for the sophisticated technology jobs of the future. 
And in Michigan, for example, there's a nice column by Brian Dickerson at the end of last week uh, pointing out that uh, one in three of uh, Michigan lawmakers have no college degree, while this puts them uh, in the bottom 40% degree-wise among the other 49 states, it's pretty much on par for Michigan in general, where only one in four adults holds a college degree. Uh, they like to punish schools in spending, but now their primary backer, the business world, is saying, well, no, universities, we need to spend some money on. So how the Republicans will resolve this uh, crisis of ideology and uh, finance, uh, one can only guess. But uh, these complicated problems require, you know, some learning. Uh, the ability to read uh, dry details and to process them adequately is is an important skill. And uh, when, you know, wow, that few uh, Michigan legislators have college educations. Yeah. And startling. That is pretty startling, but unfortunately not that surprising because there's this bizarre culture war going on that we've seen over the last couple of years in which, you know, we had Rick Santorum and during the primaries attacking um, college educated people, for gosh sakes including the president, um, I guess. Um, the president's joke at the uh, at the media roast this past year was that, well, Mitt Romney's got two Harvard degrees. I've only got one. <laughs> but indeed, you know, the, the documentation of uh, America's relative slippage globally in the world and educational um, aptitude is documented clearly. And the, the, the nation states that are more competitive economically, so to speak. And, of course, I think that it's very difficult to compare Finland, which is a relatively small population country, to a place like uh, the United States. Finland is number one, but they're number one for a reason. They're spending the most money on education. They have very small class sizes, individualized instruction practically, to create a highly educated workforce, in theory, that is what is required for the 21st century. Uh, unfortunately, we're having culture wars about the American Revolution and the Catholic Church, for God's sake. <laughs> right, the bishops uh, with their proclamations. The bishop. What's, what's good for... There's this recent uh, rally uh, in Michigan and various cities for uh, so-called rally for religious freedom. <laughs> In which they, where's the line here? Yeah, the religious freedom argument is bizarre because it's many, ridiculous. many debates now are being couched in this vague yeah, phrase it's, called religion. It's, it's, it's a, it's a Frank Luntz. It's a strategy. It's yeah. a sort of a rhetorical, uh, an oratorical option here. A linguistic stratagem, yeah. yes. To reposition uh, an old, uh, virtually a John Birch Society uh, argument to, you know, get on school boards and advance your right-wing agenda through these small local things is uh, being writ large here. There is no encroachment on religious freedom no. in America today. Uh, what they forget is that we it, the Constitution is very clear. You have a freedom of religion, and that is to practice the religion of your choice, but we also have a freedom from. You can't tell me what to do because of your religion. Right. And so they're taking the other side there and saying, oh, it's an attack on religion because other people have the option to do something that my religion prohibits me from doing, and so therefore is wrong for me. Right, and I want to take it away from you. You know, right. with contraception, for instance. Yeah, um, I think that the uh, which many Catholics use anyway. 
in America particularly. The gay marriage lobby should uh, form a religion as soon as possible. Uh, Rick Santorum can be one of their patron saints. And Rock Hudson can be their 